Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Oh my gosh, how are you? We haven't chatted in a while. I've been very busy lately. I told you I was going back to school, yeah? It's not formal school. I'm not back in college, but I've signed up for my first round of screenwriting classes. I told you I was serious. Like when I moved out here, I wanted to turn all my book projects into TV shows or films. But then since I've been out here, I've come up with some other ideas that I want to develop. Writing-wise, for like books or journalism or essays, I can write anything. Like that comes very easily to me. But this whole screenwriting thing, storytelling, I get the overall gist, but it's slightly different than writing a memoir or essays or articles or blog posts even, because I do all four of those pretty easily. It's so fascinating. I really love it. I was sitting in my first class, maybe like an hour in, once our instructor got into like the meat of what this class was and we started like throwing out our ideas and workshopping, like we, do- we dove right in. I was like, oh my God, I found my tribe. And then the end of class, he gives us our homework assignments and he's like, go watch five pilot episodes of your favorite show. And if we can, go get the scripts online and follow along with the script as you're watching the show. Sounds very simple. It it takes you twice as long to watch a show. It's just really interesting to see what's on the page and then the vision that comes to life on screen or how characters were imagined versus how they eventually are presented. One of the shows I'm watching is House of Cards. In the original pilot, Claire is not Frank's equal. The original pilot to Snowfall, which I'm completely and utterly obsessed with. I've watched all three seasons at least two times. I've watched the season three finale at least, I would say six times. I think it's absolutely brilliant. That's not the point. Point is, watch the pilot episode of Snowfall, which is entirely different than what was written. But it's just so fascinating to me, like looking at people build worlds and create characters and all like the nuances that make you know a character. The most interesting thing that that our instructor said to us, he was like, you know, you don't watch TV shows because of the setting. You watch TV shows because of the character. The setting is the bonus. He was like, every single TV show that you love, you like the story. You kept tuning in because you liked the characters and wanted to see what happens to them. And I was like, oh, shit. I'm like, this is what I do. I sit around and watch TV all the time. You know, all that started because I was in D.C. and didn't have access to good screenwriting classes. I, t- I signed up for those master classes and they had they had instructors who were top of the line screenwriters. Shonda Rhimes was one. The first thing that everyone recommends is if you want to write for TV, then you need to watch a lot of TV. So all the TV reviews that I do, it's an abbreviated version of my notes that I've been taking while I'm watching the episodes. Fun fact. What else have I been up to? Sister Amanda, Amanda Seals, her book just dropped, Small Doses. I moderated her book signing in L.A. last weekend. That was fun. It's called Small Doses, which is also the name of her podcast. It's the book version of the podcast. It's really good. It's, it's smart. It's funny. It's feminist. And it's very black. 
I'm biased, obviously, but I love it. I'm so proud of her. So yeah, that's my life update. I guess we should get into this week's shenanigans, huh? And we'll do that right after a word from one of our sponsors. Introducing the all-new and totally reimagined 2020 Ford Explorer. It's built for modern exploration. Whether venturing across country or simply across town, over various terrains or through rough weather, it's all good. The Ford Explorer is specifically designed for comfort, confidence, and a whole lot of style. Ready to explore more? The 2020 Ford Explorer, the greatest exploration vehicle of all time. Built Ford Proud. So, I tried to listen to T.I.'s new podcast. I'm still new to podcasting. I only started this podcast in January. We're just over half a million views, which I'm just like, really? Y'all downloading like that? Thank you. I appreciate it. But this is still new to me. So, I still listen to other people's podcasts and figure out tone and segments and what works and what doesn't. Like, I'm still figuring out this, this whole thing and trying to get better at this craft. So being as how T.I.'s podcast is highly ranked, I was like, well, let me give it a listen. The episode that I listened to was actually him and his wife, Tiny. A friend of mine shared it on Facebook and she said, I didn't make it past minute six. And I was like, oh, no, don't say that. So I was like, you know what? It can't be that bad. I made it to minute eight, I believe, and had to... Just had to tap out. I was like, yeah, I, I, no, absolutely not. I can't. And I'll tell you why. Somewhere around the three minute mark, he and Tiny are talking about love and relationships. But she was making a point and he cut her off and was like, drink up. You're thinking too clear. And I was like, who, who says that to their wife? So I I pressed on from there. I made it past the point where he was explaining how women are out here expecting their husbands to be whole people with no rust on them and how that's unrealistic. And I was like, oh, because I thought like perfection, I think, is unrealistic. But whole, like expecting a partner to show up not even just on a date or a relationship, but expecting a partner to show up to the altar hole is apparently asking for too much. Okay. And then Tiny says something about how men have more to gain by being in a relationship or being married. And T.I. says, that's not true because when women leave, men give up half. So then Tiny says, well, there are women who give up half too. And he was like, no, that, that barely happens. He was like, that's happening to Wendy Williams. That doesn't happen to any other woman. And I was like, really? Because most of the women I know, not all, but most of the women I know significantly out-earn their spouses. And it makes sense because women, especially black women, are enrolling in college and getting degrees at a much higher rate than our male counterparts. Degrees usually mean that you make a little more change than someone with a diploma or a GED. I I don't know why T.I. couldn't grasp that concept. But then I was like, okay, well, maybe because, you know, he's an entertainer, 
Most of his friends may work in entertainment in some capacity and they may be very successful and they may have wives that either don't work or don't make the same money as them. So I was like, all right, so maybe his perspective was off. And then I was like, wait, when T.I. met Tiny, wasn't she the breadwinner? Because she was in escape and I think he was still in the trap house. But maybe T.I. was a very successful drug dealer and he was making more than Tiny at the time. She was famous, but he was bringing in more income. I don't know, but he said it like it was just completely unfathomable. And I was like, I actually know a couple women paying alimony to their husbands. It's not just Wendy and Sherry Shepard and Mary J. Blige. Like it happens to non-celebrity women as well. At some other point in the interview, he suggests that the reason he married his wife is because she could like take all the D, either having the regular sex or the oral sex. That don't sound sleazy as shit to say to your wife as the airwaves are live. Like, sir, when y'all was doing the editing of this, nobody thought maybe we should cut this part out because it's kind of disrespectful. But okay, maybe that's me. And then he suggests to women who want to be married that they learn how to take all the D. And I was like, really? This is what we're basing signing a legal contract and making a lifelong commitment over. I finally cut it off when T.I. started praising his wife for how tolerant she is. And he was like, she's not very patient, but she's very tolerant. Like, she tolerates a lot. She's so tolerant. And I was like, is that really the baseline of you do wild shit and I just put up with it? All that happened in the first eight minutes. And I was like, I'm I'm done. Between that and, you know, T.I. is known for using, he just likes to use a big word just to use one. He started to play into it now. So he uses like all these big words. Like he was trying to describe tiny and he was like my marital something, something, something. And I was like, bruh, just say wife. It's so much easier. I was so frustrated and I was like, clearly I am not the demographic for this podcast. I was like, instead of suffering through it and complaining about the whole 30 minutes as opposed to the first eight. I'm just going to turn this off now and I'm going to go on my merry way. So that's what I did. What else is going on in the world? Dolomite. It's so good. Eddie Murphy. This is his big comeback movie. Well worth the wait. It's Eddie Murphy in full Eddie. If you like Eddie Murphy as a clump or you liked him as Jimmy in Dreamgirls, this is Eddie Murphy unleashed, unhinged. It's glory. And oddly enough, like Eddie Murphy's good. Don't get me wrong. But can I be honest with you? Who I was floored by? Wesley Snipes. I didn't know Wesley Snipes was funny. All this time. I'm like, you play drug dealers and you play action heroes. Has Wesley Snipes been funny before? I can't think of a film. But this was his big comeback as well. Welcome back, Wesley. It's good to see you. He's funny as hell. Who knew? Every scene he was in, he pulled a complete Don Cheeto. He stole every scene he was in. It's amazing. I didn't know he had it in him. Good job, Wesley. Dolomite's on Netflix. And just FYI, I'm not getting paid to drop that. I waited up to see the movie because I'm a really big Eddie Murphy fan and I'd been, I'd been waiting for it. Also, surprisingly enough, it's like an inspirational film about Dolomite. I didn't know the backstory. I mean, I've seen Dolomite. I want to say I watched it in high school, maybe college. 
But I had no idea the backstory of Dolomite or Rudy Ray Moore, how Dolomite got made, that it was such like a big hit. I'm I'm not going to give the whole plot away, but I'll just give you this setup. Rudy Ray Moore was well into, I would say, his late 40s or early 50s. But he hadn't reached the level of success that he wanted. He creates this character, Dolomite. He puts out a couple albums. He decides he wants to make a film. No one's interested in turning him into a movie star. So he decides, I just do the ish myself. And he does it. And it's very successful. But he says many, many times in the film that, like, nobody believed in me. So I decided to believe in myself. And I was like, look at you. Look at you. This is a film with Eddie Murphy walking around in a fake pot belly, dressed up in near identical Dolomite clothes. Ruth Carter, who did the costumes for Black Panther, also did the costumes for Dolomite. Eddie Murphy is walking around in like pimp suits, acting full crazy, not cooning, but clown crazy. And, but somehow we sneak in an inspirational message. Can I tell you, I almost cried at the end of the film. And that was before the credits rolled and they dedicated the film to Charlie Murphy. I just fell in love with Charlie Murphy with those Dave Chappelle skits. I love me some Charlie Murphy. I interviewed him too. Really nice guy. Speaking of Netflix, and I'm also not being paid to promote this. It's just a really good stand-up. Dion Cole. That mofo is completely underrated. I didn't know he was that funny. People were like, oh, you didn't know he's funny from Blackish? I've never seen an episode of Blackish. His stand up, let me prepare you. It's funny. It's an hour long. The first 25 to 30 minutes are jokes and laughter, jokes and laughter. Somewhere around the 30 minute mark, he goes full life coach. Like Dion Cole is trying to fix people's lives. And he starts talking about the type of people that we get into relationships with, specifically the type that we marry. I'm going to butcher what he said. I want you to go see it so you can have, oh shit. Because I had to stop and rewind and start the segment over. I had to go back to right before he began and then get like the full, the full lead in to what he was about to say. He was like, there are levels. Some of y'all were supposed to head higher up the ladder. You met someone and you married someone that you were just supposed to date and you stayed at a level lesser than your potential. And I was like, oh shit, rewind, start on over. I was like, sir, I came here for jokes and laughter. I didn't come here to be judged. You didn't have to go tell my life story to all these goddamn people watching your show on Netflix. That wasn't your story to tell, sir. Move it along. It's funny. If you've made some poor choices in relationships, you may have to sit with yourself after and think about what you've done. I'm just, I'm warning you in advance, but it's definitely a must watch. Let me get a sponsor in before we go to our next topic. I want to talk about all things Kanye. Give me one minute. My summer fun has been great, but now I'm itching to get back into my routine. After all the barbecues and eating out and vacations, Ghana and that jollof rice, I'm ready to get back into my habit of eating what's good for me, not just what tastes good. 
Finding time to look for recipes, get to the grocery store, meal prep, all that stuff is so overwhelming. Sometimes I just want to get something quick and easy, and that is when I turn to Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest is the quickest and most convenient way to eat a delicious and nutritious meal or snack, whether you're at your desk, on the go, or studying hard. Each Daily Harvest cup takes one step to prepare, and there's room for customization. When I do my strawberry mango smoothie, I add a little almond milk. And when I have a harvest bowl, sometimes I'll add a little avocado or even a fried egg. Very yum yum. All of Daily Harvest ingredients are sourced and selected for maximum nourishment and peak season flavor. If you are interested in trying Daily Harvest, please go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code RESPECTABLE. With that code, you'll get $25 off your first Daily Harvest box. That's promo code RESPECTABLE, R-E-S-P-E-C-T-ABLE, for $25 off your first box of Daily Harvest. And once again, you can get that at dailyharvest.com, dailyharvest.com. Kanye West is on one. I'm not going to go in on Kanye. Last episode with me and Candace, Candace Benbow from Unfit Christian. That's my boo. I love her. We had a great conversation about Kanye and his Sunday services. If you didn't get a chance to listen, please do. But my thoughts on Kanye this week are more about his album that just dropped sometime this afternoon. Jesus is King. That's the album. I used to be a huge Kanye West fan. Um, these days, uh, not so much. So I went to the gym and I had my headphones. And while I was on the Stairmaster dying, I listened to Kanye's new album. Didn't love it. Wanted to love it because I used to be a huge Kanye West fan. Musically, I think he's very talented. I think he has an ear for music. He has had good lyrics. And that's present here. I, I should say that. One song, God Is, which is a gospel staple. Production is amazing. His lyrics, amazing. He's hoarse and his voice keeps cracking. It's kind of like... Remember Lauryn Hill Unplugged and she played those like three same guitar strings for the entire Unplugged album and her voice kept cracking. And I remember I was so obsessed with Lauryn Hill at the time. I was playing the CD. I I think I bought a bootleg of the CD off the street when I went up to New York with my mom. On a drive back, pop it in. My mother got through two songs and was like, no, I'm not listening to somebody sing off key the whole ride home. Like she was pissed. That's how I felt when Kanye came in on God Is. And whoever sampled it is, sis can blow. Like it's even like auto-tuned a little bit and her voice is still crazy. And I was like, oh, here we go. Somebody about to come in and kill this. And then Kanye comes in. And you know what Kanye sang on all of 808 and Heartbreak? And I didn't mind it. It wasn't the best of voices, but it was it was passion and it was decent. His voice here is not even 808 and heartbreak. I, I don't know what's going on. Like maybe he didn't drink his lemon tea. I don't I don't know. But it was it was ungood. That said, the lyrics are amazing. At some point, a good choir is going to get a hold of this song. 
I wish this could happen for Sunday. It's a little too soon. But maybe by next week, somebody's good and well-trained choir with a good choir director and some dope soloists is going to get a hold of this song and put their stamp on it. And it's going to go YouTube viral. And then I feel like I'll be able to appreciate the song so much better. That Chick-fil-A song. Basura. Terrible. Absolutely trash. It's terrible. There's a song called Hands On that's about self-righteous Christians. And I thought about the people who like to come on my Instagram page anytime I don't agree with some aspect of Christianity and tell me I'm not really a Christian. And I'm like, who are you? And just for clarity, I think Kanye is Christian. Like, I don't doubt that he's a Christian. I don't doubt that he loves the Lord. I just think it's also a way to draw attention to himself. But I don't doubt his Christianity. I just don't understand why he has to infuse it with all that Trump MAGA-ish. Like, bruh, just go on and praise the Lord and move along. (sighs) There's another song on there. Use This Gospel. Clips is on it, and apparently Kenny G is too. I couldn't make it through the song because it had this ringing bell, and it started, like, triggering. I don't want to say it's my anxiety, but, like, it was just grating on my nerves. It felt like, you know how, like, when you're deep, dreaming and your alarm goes off and you it comes into the dream whatever happens in the dream you start going crazy trying to address the noise in the dream and it takes you it takes your brain a minute to realize you need to wake up and turn the alarm off that's what it sounded like to me it was driving me nuts like I was like a dog hearing a loud whistle I really want to hear Pusha T but it's just not going to happen right now tell me if it was a good verse I'll never hear it because I can't listen to that that ringing alarm Overall, I thought the album sounded unfinished. So, yeah, I'm just going to move along. I'll just drag the album if I continue. So, we're going to talk about Nicki Minaj and her marriage. Sort of. We got to do a quick drop from the sponsor real quick. Support for Ratchet and Respectable is brought to you by the new Audible original, The Baddest Bitch in the Room by Sophia Chang. In her groundbreaking audio memoir, this unsung legend of the music industry shares her fearless journey as the first Asian woman in hip-hop who managed icons from the Wu-Tang Clan, a tribe called Quest, and more. Her inspiring life story features tales of falling in love with a Shaolin monk, jumping from career to career, becoming a superhero single mom, and diving back into the dating pool at 43. At 50... She's finally decided to tell her story. Keep an ear out for audio appearances by RZA, Ghostface Killer, Method Man, Raekwon, Q-Tip, Raphael, Sadiq, Redman, and more. To this day, Sophia Chang says she was, quote, raised by the Wu-Tang. And in her memoir, she definitely brings the ruckus. Listen free with a 30-day trial. Just go to audible.com slash respectable. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, Ubble. That's audible.com slash respectable. So Nicki Minaj got married. She seems happy. Good for her. Wendy Williams, she's on one right now. Wendy Williams had some choice words about Nicki's nuptials. She speculated that Nikki and her husband would probably begin a family very soon, which fine. And then she went on to make the vilest comments 
about what Nicki Minaj's pregnant body would look like. And she was like, oh, she's got all those hips and then she's going to have a big old pregnant belly. Jesus, lady, like you're going to make fun of what a woman might look like pregnant. And then I was like, ma'am, the glass house you're in right now. Nikki has visibly had body alterations. But ma'am, Wendy, ma'am, you too have had body alterations. A mirror for you. You may not make fun of others. It's too easy. Your glass house. That's that's thin glass. You can't throw nothing at that. It'll crack in a heartbeat. I'll just leave it at that. I just felt really bad for Nikki. People don't like her all of a sudden. Like everybody's like anti Nicki Minaj suddenly. I, I want her to take a quick break. Maybe have a baby. Think about life. Come back in a couple years with some fire-ish. I really want people to stop acting like Nicki Minaj was like irrelevant. Nicki Minaj used to be exactly where Cardi is right now. Y'all gonna stop acting like Nicki Minaj was some D-list entertainer and you're annoyed that she's here. Give sis her props. You need to put a little respect on her name. Just a little. Folks are out here acting like Nicki Minaj was never anyone important. Yes, she was. Don't do that to Nicki. I mean, she's had some Twitter outbursts. I feel like male rappers do that ish all the time. And Future has an outburst every other week. Chris Brown. There was a whole phase where Chris Brown was having an outburst every other week. But every time an album dropped, it went straight to the top of the charts. Come on. Not really a Nicki fan. But I don't want to see her discarded as a victim of sexism or be held accountable for some ish that she did not do. Lamar Odom's been doing a lot of chatting. He did an episode of some show for TV One and is running around telling people that he left Taraji Henson for Khloe Kardashian. I'm like, why are you telling people this? I think he just wrote a book not too long ago. I'm sure that was included in the book. So I guess he's got to get sales up or something. But I just think that's really like not classy. I never knew he was dating Taraji. That wasn't like a big, like known thing. And I was like, look at you out here drop name dropping this A-list woman as your career is on the decline. Trying to be like back in my day, I used to have this piece, sir. And then the complete bad judgment of leaving Taraji for Chloe. I guess when Chloe was with Lam Lam, though, because that's the only reason I know who Lamar is. I knew him as the dude Chloe Kardashian married after she knew him for like three weeks. So I was like, are you telling me, sir, that you were in a whole relationship with Taraji, met Chloe, left Taraji? I'm going to give you a week that you knew Chloe before you left Taraji, right? So you left Taraji and then got married two weeks later, got whole married to a woman who was so uninterested in you that she pretended that she couldn't get pregnant. That's who you left Taraji for. Yeah, she won, just FYI. Can we talk about Brother Tank? (laughs) I met him years and years and years ago when I was working at Essence. He came into the office to promote whatever album he was working on at the time. This is I left Essence in 2011. He comes to the office to promote this album, and he's singing in the conference room. Maybe it was 2009. Because I remember who I was dating at the time. But he comes to the Essence office. He sings this beautiful song. 
And I want to say it was something about I'm sorry, something about redemption. And I was sitting in the conference room and I'd gotten into an argument with this guy I was seeing. Mr. X, if you read A Bell in Brooklyn, that's who I was arguing with at the time. So Tank sings this song and like he takes a break between songs to talk about whatever. And I was like, excuse me, I have to go. And he was like, where are you going? And I was like, I have to make a phone call. Like I was wrong. I need to apologize. And he was like, are you serious right now? And I was like, I'm sorry. I mean, no disrespect, but I must go right now. I must go apologize right now while I'm like, while my pride is pushed to the side. So I did. I kept running into him like after that, like he remembered me as the girl who walks out of the conference room. One of those times it was backstage in the green room at Arise and I was there with my mother. I must have been promoting Don't Waste Your Pretty at the time, but I had on this like snakeskin jacket and I, I see him and I give him a hug. And so I'm standing there next to him talking. He starts rubbing my jacket and was like, what is this? This is beautiful. This is soft. This is wonderful. And my mother comes and like stands all up on us or whatever. And it's like, you're engaged. <laughs> it was like, he wasn't stroking my breast or my thigh. Like he was literally stroking my arm, like thereabouts around the elbow. Like it was completely non-sexual. But my mother was like super territorial. I was like, ma'am, a seat for you. I like him personally. This has nothing to do with the story. I'm just telling you about Tank. He goes on lip service with Angela Yee. There's a bunch of other people in the room. So it's Tank, Angela Yee, and at least three other people having this conversation. So I want to say they're talking about people who lie. I want to say maybe it's Tank. Says a person who lies twice isn't necessarily a liar. Angela says is a man who performs oral sex twice gay. She's making the obvious point that if you do something twice, then you are that. So Tank goes on to explain hypothetically that a man who engages in oral sex with another man twice is not gay. Many people run with this and say Tank is saying that he gives oral sex to men. He never said that. He literally never said I, just for clarity. So I opened up a conversation about this, this clip on my Instagram page. My understanding of sexuality is that if you are heterosexual, then you only engage in sexual acts with people of the opposite sex. If you are bisexual, then you may engage in sexual acts with people of the same sex or the opposite sex. That was my understanding. Note the past tense of sexuality. And I learned very promptly after posting that I have an antiquated view, that I held an antiquated view. My understanding of sexuality is very 90s and we have since evolved. So it was explained to me in ways that made sense that One, there's more sexualities than straight, lesbian, gay, and bisexual. Queer is sort of the all-encompassing for people who don't define themselves as heterosexual. And let me say this. I wasn't completely like head buried in the sand. I understand the concept of if you are man who loves men, decides to be intimate with women because you've seen that that is more acceptable. That makes sense to me. So if if you were a same-sex loving person who then 
after having experiences with people of the opposite sex was like, nope, I was just doing that because I was trying to figure out who I was. And now I'm, I've realized that I'm same sex loving and I'm not trying to pretend anymore by having sex with opposite sex people. That makes sense to me. My understanding was that if you are heterosexual, you don't have sex with people of the same sex, like ever. And if you do, that is an indication that you are bisexual. So when I write about Tank, I'm very, what's the word? Enlightened is not the right word. Introduced. I was introduced to the concept that you can be heterosexual Called straight at that, not even like bisexual, not even on the spectrum. But if you are a man who has given or received oral sex from another man, not only are you not considered gay, not only are you not considered bisexual, you are straight because you were just experimenting. You wanted to try it. Couldn't make sense of it the first time. You tried it a second time to make more sense of it. And then you decided that's not for me. And you decided, no, I'm good. I'm straight. I would say that the idea that you were interested in trying it with someone of the same sex would put you into the queer category. But people were like, nope, that's not how this works, sis. Same sex loving means just that. Like, same sex loving, not just same sex fucking. Which I was like, I hear you. I do. Someone gave me this analogy. They were like, if you smoke twice and then you decide, I don't really like to smoke. Are you still considered a smoker? And I was like, okay, I feel you. But I also feel like if I smoked on Friday and Saturday, can I really call myself a non-smoker on Sunday? I feel like there's got to be a window of time that passes where you're just like, no, I haven't smoked in like, I don't know. Three years. I'm like, oh, okay, well, you quit smoking, I would say. But don't people who smoke often relapse? I don't know. Some people quit and this, they're done. And I'm definitely not saying having same-sex love is like an addiction. Addiction has a negative terminology. And I don't think there's anything wrong with like loving someone of the same sex. Person just gave me the analogy of smoking. And I was like, eh. You're never going to really convince me that you're not what you do. It's just one of the fundamental core things that I believe about people. Like, if you are interested in someone, you act interested. If you write, then you're a writer. If you ain't written shit, then you're not a writer. That's just kind of how this goes. Like, you are what you do. I mean, talk is cheap. Action counts. It's just a fundamental core belief system that I have. So the idea that, like, I engage in same-sex sexual acts, but I'm straight, is just never really going to fully compute. So I was like, I just need to, one, back away from the conversation on sexuality because clearly I am not up to to 2019 standards. And I'm just like back to my bottom line. I just want everyone to be happy and having consensual sex and great orgasms and safe sex and, and be tested regularly. If it's same sex, great. If it's with a group of people, great. If it's hetero, great. Just I want everyone to be happy and bust great nuts. That's my understanding of sexuality. I've just, I've erased my 90s understandings. I've realized I just don't know what 2019, I just, I don't, I don't know the terms. I don't, I don't understand. 
I just don't. And I'm okay with that. Because I think it's enough to be like, do your adult business. And it's really none of mine. Everyone carry on. Thanks. We have one more topic and one more sponsor. Most guys have tried different ways to last longer in bed, but saying the Pledge of Allegiance in your head or counting backwards from 10 doesn't always work. Can I tell you that last time I did one of these ads, my best friend who's a dude hit me up out the blue and he was like, I named the starting quarterbacks and their backups of all the NFL teams. I was like, you actually know the names of all the quarterbacks and their backups for all the NFL teams? And he was like, yeah. Is, is that common knowledge? I mean, I guess if you're a big sports fan, which obviously he is, but like, really? All the quarterbacks and their backups. Huh. Who knew? Anyway, the folks at Roman, a men's health company, are changing the game with Roman Swipes. The secret to helping men last longer in bed. Roman swipes are a clinically proven way to last longer in bed. They're effective, easy to use, and fast acting, but don't require a prescription. Roman can ship swipes to you in discreet, unmarked packaging, and each swipe packet is small enough to hide in your wallet for whenever you need it. Swipes are great. They do not transfer to your partner so you can last longer without the worry. They're super easy to use. Just take the swipe out the packet, swipe it on, let it dry, and you're good to go. Get $10 off your first order of swipes and free two-day shipping at GetRoman.com slash Ratchet. That's GetRoman.com slash Ratchet for $10 off and free two-day shipping. GetRoman.com Slash ratchet. Girl. Wendy Williams and Duchess Megan. Same day that she went off on Nikki, she did a much longer rant about Megan and Harry. Megan and Harry are in a new documentary filmed during their trip to Africa. The standout of the documentary is an interview with Duchess Megan. She talks about how her friends warned her about how bad British tabloids could be. But she had no idea how bad it was. Harry and Meghan are actually suing a tabloid right now because of how they've been treating Meghan. But she's, you know, she's dealing with a lot. She got married a year ago. She's a new wife. She has a new baby. She's living in a new country far from home. Sis is from Cali. She's a 10-hour plane ride from home. That's a bop. The interviewer asked her, and he was like, would you say that you're not okay? And she was like, yeah. She looked so sad in the interview. Maybe because I've been in that like lost, broken space and I was there for so long. When I see it in other people, like my heart just automatically goes out to them because it's not a feeling I would wish on anyone. But I think even people who haven't been in a sad, broken place, like if you just have basic social, if you can read basic social cues, you could probably look at Megan and see that like she's not okay. She's not in a good place. Like she... Needs like a mama hug or a sister hug. Like somebody, somebody hug that woman. And Harry, like, I mean, husbands are good. But sometimes you just need like a girlfriend hug or like a mama hug. Sometimes you just need to be in the company of other women to help talk you back into yourself. Wendy saw the clip. And unlike, I would say most people, 
decided this was a fine time to go in on Megan. I posted a mashup of, of the segment on my Instagram page. In short, Wendy was like, nobody feels sorry for you. You knew what you were signing up for. Get over it. We have no sympathy. Which I was like, mm, no, speak for yourself, sis, because I actually feel really bad for her. And I'm very surprised that Wendy doesn't. Now, some folks were like, you shouldn't be surprised because, you know, Wendy's Wendy. She went through a nice phase when she was dealing with her recovery from being in the sober house. They were like, at her core and consistently, Wendy's pretty nasty. So I don't know why you were expecting any better. And I'll tell you why I was expecting better. More than most people, Wendy knows exactly how bad the British tabloids can be. Just over a year ago, the Daily Mail released a story about how they've been following Wendy Williams and her husband and her husband's mistress for over a year and then published all their receipts and was like, see, this is what the mailbox looks like. See, this is the car that he bought. See, this is the ring she's rocking. See, this is the house they live in. Wendy's house is XYZ square feet. This chick's house is XYZ square feet. This is Wendy's husband running to, to the gym with this chick. This is Wendy's husband and his chick in matching cars. They went in like they tailed you and your husband for a year. You're not even British. I don't know who Wendy pissed off at the Daily Mail, but to go invest a year long investigation into Wendy Williams personal life. Really? That wrecked her life. That happened in September by the Halloween episode. Wendy's standing around in the Statue of Liberty costume and passes out on live television. Are these two things not related at all? We know nothing about Wendy being ill. We didn't know nothing about Wendy having personal problems. We knew nothing. That Daily Mail article was the catalyst for Wendy's world falling apart. Since that time, she passes out on television. Her husband ends up having the baby with this side chick. She files for divorce. She takes these long hiatuses from her show. There were all these reports that her show was in jeopardy. There was conversations about her producers leaving because Wendy was all stressed out and flipping out on people behind the scenes. To her credit, the show did get renewed. She relapsed into drugs and alcohol. She's not living in her home. She's living in a sober house. Like, come on, sis. The Daily Mail pulled out the wrong Jenga piece and your whole tower fell and you can't find no compassion. You know what you went through because of that. You can't find no sympathy for someone who deals with that BS every single day. That's crazy. And even without the Daily Mail, like even if she wasn't like directly affected by like the British press, Wendy's a celebrity. She's dealt with a degree of what Megan's dealing with for the better part of her career, at least since the rise of social media. I was watching people say that they agreed with Wendy. And I was like, do y'all have any idea what it's like to be in the middle of a social media storm? Somebody actually asked me point blank. And they were like, why are you so passionate about this? I've been in the middle of a media storm multiple times. It's not just media per se. It's social media, it's email and text and phone. It's any mode of communication or platform where information is shared. People who can't reach you online or via your phone start reaching out to your friends, family, employers, and they call to confirm, check up, pry, and whatever. 
If you're recognizable, people approach you at the gym, at Target, the movies, anywhere. You are fat on TV, but you don't look that fat in person. Or you're ugly on TV, but in person you don't look so bad. I never cursed people out. I would just walk off when shit like that happened. And people would yell obscene shit after me because they were mad that I wouldn't answer their question or stand there and take their abuse. And then they would get on Twitter and tell people that I was a cunt for walking off. The only way to really avoid it is to basically sit in a room alone with your phone and TV off, reading a book or listening to music. You start to lose your support system. Add on top of all that, you can actually feel the negative energy of thousands of people being poured your way. Even when you're not online, you just feel the weight of it. Understand that when every single thing you do is constantly critiqued, you start to get paranoid. So you don't send one-off texts to friends. You stop having public conversations. If you step outside your house, you have to be performing because people are always watching and tweeting. There's no such thing as a celebration where you actually get to enjoy it. Whether there's a book signing, a graduation, a night out, a wedding day, a promotion, launching a new business, everything that you do that's that's important to you gets shitted on. There is no time that you leave your house where you are not a story. What you wear, what you said, your weight, your hair, you didn't smile the whole time, you're mean, you look too good, you're stuck up, you make a face at your spouse, your marriage is in crisis, he's cheating on you and he's about to leave you any day now. I say this to someone who was on two seasons of a reality show. I'm not a fucking duchess. What I'm describing is one one trillionth of what Megan receives. This isn't like a tip of the iceberg to her. Megan's on the cover of newspapers and tabloids. She's the subject of daily news shows and segments. Trillion times worse. And yes, to be clear, I was warned. There were other people who did reality TV and they were just like, oh, just so you know, you should be prepared for, you should have someone else do your social media during the run of the show or anytime you have like a big project because it gets bad, just FYI. And I was like, oh, no, like, you know, I'd be on Twitter all the time. Like, I'm on Instagram all the time. And then it, it was that people didn't like that went viral. People have said stuff to me. And they were just like, OK, sis, like, it's it's bad. And other people told me, like, in detail. And I was just like, oh, OK, like, yeah, you know, it's just social media. Like, it's just a bunch of strangers tweeting or saying whatever. Like, it doesn't really matter. It's not that serious. When I announced my separation and that I had wanted to die, people texted my dad and asked if I'd killed myself. He ran in my room in a panic and started checking on me every morning after that. When my castmate died, people DM'd that they wished I was dead instead of her. I was in my wedding dress at my reception when people started blogging about how ugly my dress was and how fat I looked and how my marriage would never last because my husband was attractive and I was not. Someone got my number and posted it online and people started calling to play on my phone. Somebody called me and I hung up. My husband answered the next call and the person told him, I'm fucking your wife. When I was in Ghana two months ago, some guy saw me at a park and videotaped me and then sent me all the videos later that night. Again, one trillionth of what Megan deals with. So when you're like, oh, she should have known, she should have known. No one knows that shit. Have a little empathy. That woman is going through pure hell. I feel terrible for her. I put this in my IG stories like, sis, come on home. Bring Harry and the baby. They're welcome. We left the light on. Come home, babe.
Let us love on you in the States. Come home. And if you got to go back, so be it. But let us feel you because you've clearly been depleted. Come on home, babe. So that's this week's episode. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. (sighs) If you need some ratchet or respectable in your life in between episodes, please follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Demetria L. Lucas. If you'd like to discuss this episode with other listeners, you can always head to my blog, DemetriaLLucas.com, two L's. I post the podcast episodes there each week as well. If you like what you heard today, please leave me a review. Always happy to read a great review. Not so much a bad one. Y'all can keep that ish. We'll talk soon. Bye.